Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and this tape is a special teaching that I did on television, and we are taking the teaching directly from the television. Therefore, you may hear some statements that may sound not like a typical cassette that I put out, but I believe that if you will listen, you'll still be able to get the message and that it will be a blessing to you. So in Mark chapter 4, in verse 3, Jesus said this, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it has no, had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit and sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. So this is the parable. Then in verse 9, Jesus said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So in verse 10, it says, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Uh, My little paraphrase of this is, the Lord is saying, I have given you a special understanding so that you can understand these parables. But people who aren't born again, to them, they can't understand this. And I believe that the reason that the Lord did it this way, in a sense, it preserves these principles, these uh, things that cause the kingdom of God to operate. It preserves it from ungodly people taking them and using it to their advantage. It safeguards these things for God's children. So here's another way of saying it. These things weren't said in parables to hide them from God's children, but rather to hide them for God's children, to give us an edge, to give us the wisdom of how the kingdom of God operates. All of this wisdom about how God intended this world to operate has to be funneled through the Holy Spirit. Unless He quickens us and gives us understanding, You just can't understand the things of God. So that's what the Lord was telling them. And then he said this in verse 13. This is Mark 4, 13. He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? Jesus is saying this parable of the sower sowing the seed is so foundational, so basic, that if you don't get this parable and understand it, you won't be able to understand any of my parables. In other words, this is like the foundation for all the teaching of Jesus. If you don't unlock, if you don't let the Holy Spirit quicken to you the truths that are in this parable, then you won't be able to understand any of the teachings of Jesus. Now, that's a major statement. And, of course, Jesus taught a tremendous amount of things for us. And if this is like the key that unlocks all the rest of these parables, this means that we must get this parable. It's that basic. It's that foundational. So here's the interpretation of the parable, starting in Mark chapter 4 and verse 14. He says, The sower soweth the word. And I've made this point before, but he's not really teaching about how to be a farmer. He's using this illustration about how a seed works in the natural world to tell us how the word of God works in the spiritual world. And let me just summarize some things before I get into actually tearing apart this parable and explaining it. But basically this 
uh, man went out and when it says that he sowed seed, he didn't have a tractor. He didn't go out, you know, and use a tractor or some kind of an implement to sow seed and put it into rows and space it and do all of these kind of things. The way that people sowed seed in those days, he had a bag or something that he was wearing and he, he dipped his hand into there and he would take a handful of seed and then he'd just throw it. And he would walk along and just throw the seed everywhere. The seed fell not only into prepared rows, but it fell on rocks. It fell on places where there were already thorns and things growing up. And uh, so this is basically what he's talking about. And likewise, God has taken his word and made it available to everybody. God has given his word. He's given everyone access to his word. He has, in a sense, thrown His Word upon every type of heart that there is. But according to this parable, the seed fell on all these different types of ground. There are four different types of grounds discussed here, and only one out of four brought forth fruit. In a similar sense, God has made His Word available to everybody. Every single person watching this program or listening by radio has the access to God's Word. Right now, you are hearing some things from God's Word that could change your life. You have access to it, but if you are typical, according to this parable, only about 25% of the people who have access to the Word of God are ever going to really have the Word of God change their life in a significant way to where it bears fruit. And it's not because God didn't sow the seed. It's because of the condition of our hearts. A quick summary is that the seed was thrown on four different types of ground and only one out of the four really brought forth fruit and produced what the seed was capable of producing. Now, there's a number of things to glean out of this. Number one, here's one point I want to really get across. And this is the way that this parable began to impact my life and change me. When the Lord first showed me these things from this parable of the sower sowing the seed, I had just gotten turned on to the Lord. I was just an 18-year-old boy. I was excited. I knew that God had called me and uh, had given me a vision to reach millions and millions of people with the truths of His Word. And I knew that. But, you know, here I was. I mean, how can I ever get that accomplished? I'm a hick from Texas, which many of you are very aware of. You know, I was joking around with my camera crew about it. The guy who runs my camera has this golden radio voice, and he's on the other side of the camera, and here I am on this side. You know, if I was God, I wouldn't have picked me. I wouldn't have picked this voice. And I was thinking about this and thinking, why did God choose me, and how could I be used, and how could these things happen? One of the things that happened through this parable that just changed my life, the Lord showed me it was the seed that brought forth fruit, not the ground. It was the seed. The seed is where the power lies. Now, the application of this is, I was basically looking at myself, my natural talents and abilities, you know, as being the ground. And I was thinking, oh God, I'm not polished. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not well-educated. I was a total introvert, couldn't look at a person in the face. And I was looking at all of the failures that I had One of the things that this parable taught me is that it was the seed that brought forth fruit. And as we go through this, I'll go into more detail, but it wasn't the ground that had more that produced the best. It was the ground that had less that produced the best. Less rocks, less thorns, less problems. 
AND GOD BEGAN TO SHOW ME THAT I COULD MAKE MYSELF GOOD GROUND BY JUST ROOTING OUT THESE THINGS THAT I HAD ALLOWED TO TAKE ROOT IN MY LIFE AND THAT I WAS AS CAPABLE OF PRODUCING FRUIT AS ANYBODY BECAUSE IT'S NOT ME, IT'S THE WORD. IT'S THE WORD THAT'S GOING TO CHANGE PEOPLE'S LIVES AND NOT ME. MAN, THAT WAS A REVELATION TO ME. I DON'T KNOW IF THAT RINGS YOUR BELL THE WAY IT DID ME, BUT I I CAN'T TELL YOU WHAT THAT DID FOR ME BECAUSE IT GAVE ME HOPE THAT GOD, IF IT'S YOUR WORD, WELL, THEN I CAN STUDY YOUR WORD. I CAN LEARN YOUR WORD. I CAN GET TO WHERE I CAN SPEAK YOUR WORD THE SAME AS ANYBODY ELSE. IF IT'S NOT BASED ON MY FANCY CLOTHES AND IF IT'S NOT BASED ON MY POLISHED VOICE AND MANNERISMS AND THINGS LIKE THAT, IF IT'S YOUR WORD THAT IS GOING TO CHANGE PEOPLE, WELL, THEN, PRAISE GOD, YOUR WORD CAN LIVE IN ME THE SAME AS IT CAN LIVE IN ANYBODY. AND IT GAVE ME HOPE. WELL, THAT'S POWERFUL. I LOVE THAT. THAT'S ONE OF THE THINGS THAT I GOT OUT OF THIS. AND THIS REALLY BROUGHT ENCOURAGEMENT TO ME WHEN I SAW THAT THE SEED HAS THE POTENTIAL. BUT YOU KNOW, BEFORE IT CAN RELEASE ITS POTENTIAL, THAT SEED HAS TO BE SOWN INTO A HEART, JUST LIKE A SEED. I ACTUALLY SAW A SPECIAL ON TELEVISION ONE TIME, AND THEY WERE TALKING ABOUT, I DON'T REMEMBER EXACTLY WHAT THE TOPIC OF THE THING WAS, BUT I REMEMBER THEM GOING INTO SOME EGYPTIAN TOMBS, AND THEY FOUND A BOWL OF SEEDS THAT HAD BEEN SEALED FOR, for, I DON'T KNOW, 2,000 YEARS OR MORE. AND THEY TOOK THESE SEEDS AND THEY LITERALLY PLANTED THEM IN THE GROUND AND 2,000 YEARS, OR IT COULD HAVE BEEN MORE, 4,000 YEARS, WHATEVER, AFTER THOSE SEEDS WERE FIRST PUT INTO THAT CONTAINER, WHEN THEY WERE PUT IN THE EARTH, GIVEN THE RIGHT CONDITION, MOISTURE, HEAT, ETC., THOSE THINGS SPROUTED AND PRODUCED PLANTS. THAT'S AWESOME TO ME. THAT LITTLE TINY SEED HAD THIS POTENTIAL IN IT FOR THOUSANDS AND THOUSANDS OF YEARS, AND YET IT NEVER RELEASED ANY OF ITS POTENTIAL UNTIL IT WAS PLANTED IN THE GROUND. AND SEE, THAT'S THE WAY THAT THE WORD OF GOD IS. GOD'S WORD IS POWERFUL. GOD'S WORD IS AWESOME WHAT IT CAN ACCOMPLISH, BUT IT'S NEVER GOING TO RELEASE ITS POWER UNTIL IT GETS ON THE INSIDE OF YOU. HAVING A BIBLE SIT ON YOUR COFFEE TABLE IS NOT GOING TO STOP THE DEVIL. CARRYING ONE UNDER YOUR ARM IS NOT GOING TO STOP THE DEVIL. YOU CAN LAY A BIBLE ON YOUR HEAD UNTIL IT MAKES YOUR HEAD FLAT ON TOP AND IT WILL NOT CAUSE THE BLESSINGS OF GOD TO COME AT YOU. BUT YOU'VE GOT TO TAKE THIS WORD AND it's, YOU'VE GOT TO DEVOUR IT. IT'S GOT TO LITERALLY BECOME A PART OF YOU. AGAIN, I DON'T KNOW IF YOU'RE PERCEIVING HOW POWERFUL WHAT I'M SAYING IS, BUT THESE TRUTHS CHANGED MY LIFE. THEY REALLY DID. IT'S GOD'S WORD THAT PUTS YOU OVER. IT'S GOD'S WORD THAT OPENS UP DOORS. AND YOU KNOW WHAT? I LITERALLY TOOK THIS TO HEART. I HAVE BELIEVED THIS PARABLE WITH MY WHOLE HEART THAT GOD'S WORD IS WHAT'S GOING TO CHANGE PEOPLE'S LIVES. YOU KNOW, THERE ARE MANY OF YOU THAT ARE TRYING TO HONE YOUR SKILLS. AND MAN, YOU'RE GOING TO SCHOOL TO LEARN MARKETING AND TO LEARN BUSINESS. YOU'RE LEARNING uh, DALE CARNEGIE COURSES, HOW TO PRESENT YOURSELF. YOU'RE LEARNING ALL OF THESE TECHNIQUES. YOU'RE SPENDING MONEY ON POLISHING YOURSELF. YOU GET THE BEST LOOKING SUITS. YOU GET YOUR HAIR FIXED. YOU DO ALL OF THESE THINGS. AND WE PUT ALL OF THE EMPHASIS ON ALL OF THESE OTHER THINGS, WHICH IN THEIR PLACE MAY BE ALL RIGHT. BUT YOU KNOW WHAT? VERY FEW PEOPLE UNDERSTAND THAT IT'S THE WORD OF GOD AND THE TRUTH, THE REVELATION OF GOD'S WORD THAT IS GOING TO REALLY RELEASE THE POTENTIAL THAT IS IN YOUR LIFE. AND THAT'S NOT ONLY TRUE OF A PREACHER. THIS IS TRUE OF ANYBODY. I'VE GOT SO MANY FRIENDS. I COULD TELL YOU EXAMPLE AFTER EXAMPLE AFTER EXAMPLE OF PEOPLE WHO ARE, I MEAN, TOTALLY IN THE BUSINESS WORLD, AND YET IT'S THE TRUTHS OF GOD'S WORD THAT HAVE LITERALLY SET THEM FREE.
This is for anybody. The Word of God will help you to be a better housewife, a mother. I tell you, I don't know how a person even can conceive being a parent apart from the revelation, the truth that comes from God's Word. I mean, it's scary. It's scary enough being a parent with the Word of God. Without the Word of God, it'd be terrible. I tell you, raising kids is harder than raising the dead. I've had to do both. And it takes a miracle to see kids raised. You need the revelation of God's Word. So this is just talking about how God's Word will put you over in whatever area you are dealing with. In verse 15, there are four types of people who receive the Word of God in this parable. The first person, verse 15, it says, These are they by the wayside where the Word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the Word that was sown in their hearts. I want to turn over to Matthew chapter 13, and this is the same parable uh, recorded in Matthew's gospel, and uh, it just is uh, phrased a little bit differently. In verse 18, Matthew 13, 18, it says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh that wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So this was a picture of a seed that wasn't able to penetrate and get down on the inside. The application, the spiritual application, it's talking about a person who heard the Word but didn't hear the Word. It never got down on the inside of them. And you know what the key to it is? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, it says, When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and understands it not, then cometh the wicked one and steals away the Word. You know, the only type of person that Satan had direct access, unlimited access to, to be able to steal away the Word was a person that didn't understand it. Understanding is vital. It's very, very important. And uh, understanding is the first step in getting the Word of God down in your heart. You've got to read the Word, pray, and meditate about it until you understand what it's saying. And this is precisely the reason that, you know, we have children's churches and children's ministries. The things that I teach in my regular service, did you know it's the truth? And it has the potential to set people free. I see blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I see people set free emotionally, spiritually, from all kinds of addictions and all this stuff. And I know that the word I'm speaking works and that it changes lives. But when we have a convention, you know what we do? We have a children's ministry. And the reasoning behind that is that the children, it needs to be presented in a way that they can understand it. If they don't understand it, then Satan is able to steal it away. See, that's the whole logic, the whole principle behind children's church, youth ministry and stuff is that you need to present the Word in a way that people understand it. You know, that's one reason that I go out of my way to make the Word of God so simple. I have people constantly tell me, man, you just talk, it's so simple to understand. And I think that's a good thing. I've had people uh, talk about me being so simple that I sometimes wonder whether that's a compliment or not. But as a whole, I believe that making the Word of God understandable is a very good thing. I feel that the smarter you are, you ought to be able to make the Word of God simple for people, not complicated. That is not right. Jesus was simple. He, that's the reason he taught with parables, things that people could understand. So anyway, the very first type of person is a person who heard the Word but didn't have any understanding. If you can't understand 
what the Word is saying. Satan has complete access to you to steal those truths from you. And that's a terrible situation. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And yet with all of your getting, get understanding also. In other words, you not only need to have truths imparted unto you, but you need to be able to understand, to make an application. If you look the word wisdom, or excuse me, understanding up in the Greek, it literally means the ability to separate mentally. In other words, it's the ability to take truths and categorize them and put things together and say, oh, well, that's what, that's how this works. It's like a mechanic. You know, you may know what a rotor is. You may know what a crankshaft is, a camshaft, all these kind of things. You may have heard the words, but if you don't understand how those things fit together and how that one part makes another part work and how the motor works together, you could have knowledge and yet be absolutely inept and unable to deal with the problem because you don't have the understanding to put it together. It's the same thing with the Word of God. There are people that know scriptures and you can quote a scripture, but you don't have any understanding about how that applies to your daily life or how it links other truths of God's word together. For you to get the word of God down on the inside of you and have it release its power, there has to be understanding. And I tell you, understanding is something that comes from God. It's something that you can pray for. It's something that you can seek for. It's something that will come as a result of you petitioning God and and desiring it. In other words, you can make your heart receptive to understanding or you can harden your heart. As a matter of fact, as Jesus talked about a hardened heart in Mark chapter 8, one of the signs of a hardened heart, he says, Perceive ye not yet, do you not yet understand? When he was describing a hardened heart, he says, It's people who don't understand. A hardened heart will keep you from understanding. And understanding will keep your heart from being hardened. Man, you need to let God soften your heart so that you can begin to understand the truths of the Word of God. We talked about the first type of soil is a person who doesn't understand what the Word's saying. And the devil just is able to steal that away from them. The second type of soil is listed here in Mark chapter 4. And in verse 16, it says, These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Man, there is a lot of material in those two verses. This is something that I have lived a lot. First of all, let me go to the end of the 17th verse and says that it says that affliction and persecution come for the word's sake. Here is a great piece of information that has really blessed me and really helped me. Did you know that Satan is not fighting you because of anything that he has against you personally? Sometimes you feel that way. Sometimes you feel like the devil just has it in for you. But you know, that's not true. Satan is too busy trying to put out his own fires and stuff to be able to deal with you on a personal level. What he comes against is the Word of God. And if that be true, then that means that when you start getting a revelation of the Word, that doesn't mean that the battle's over. It means it's just begun. Now, some of you, that may put off. And you may think, well, man, if that's the way it is, I don't think I want to start planting God's Word in my heart if the devil's going to fight me for the Word's sake. I'm saying he'll fight you 
but you'll win. You will be more victorious than you've ever been, but it won't be without a fight. Did you know there's lots of things that come against me? I could sit here for a long period of time and just start telling you things that happen in my life, things that I have to deal with, and sometimes it's nearly supernatural the way that opposition comes against me, the things that happen. I mean, it seems like things happen to me that most people don't have happen to them. And at one time, I could have taken that very personal and have thought, God, why are you letting the devil be on my case like this? But I've come to realize that in a real sense, it's a compliment. Satan is coming against the Word of God that is working in my life. He's trying to discourage me. And when I see that, instead of it discouraging me, it just makes me more determined than ever. I realize that, man, I've got something valuable. That's the reason the devil's after me. See, you need to recognize it says afflictions and persecutions come for the Word's sake. They are coming against the Word of God. Notice this also. Here's another truth. It says afflictions and persecutions come against you to steal away the Word. Now, if you are very smart at all, that ought to tell you that God is not the author of the afflictions and persecutions because He is not trying to get you to doubt His Word. He is not trying to steal His Word from you. This shows where afflictions and persecutions come from. They come from the devil to stop God's Word in your life. That's where it comes from. Afflictions and persecutions. You know what? Sickness can get you so occupied dealing with yourself that you quit taking the Word of God and sharing it with your friends and dealing with things. Afflictions can cause you to become so introverted in thinking about your own problem that you forget other people. It'll steal the Word from you. Persecution will cause you to think, man, if this is the way I'm going to be treated every time I take a stand for God and say what's right, I'm not sure I want to do it. All of these things are designed to cause you to stop ministering the Word, to stop living the Word, to stop drawing on the results that the Word promises. And that shows you who's the author of it. Satan is the one that's bringing problems into your life and not God. Here's another truth that you can glean from this. If the design of persecutions is to stop you from keeping God's Word working in your life, then let me just suggest this, that even if you still believe the right thing, but you become timid, shy in your convictions, sharing it with other people because of the persecution that's going to happen. Did you know that Satan has accomplished his purpose? You might still hold to the same doctrine, but if you quit sharing it, if you quit speaking the word, like say, for instance, if you're at work and somebody's sick and you stand up and say, well, I believe that God heals and everybody turns on you and ridicules you and begins to make fun of you and call you a holy roller, and that's persecution. And if that causes you to quit speaking the Word of God, then you know what? Satan won. Whether you ever change your belief that God is the healer or not, if it causes you to back off of your stance and quit sharing it because you're afraid of persecution, then Satan is one. The purpose of persecution is to stop the Word. If it stops you from speaking and acting on God's Word, persecution is one. Let me give you a personal example of this. That when I first got really turned on to the Lord, I was in a very dead church. I mean, it was so dead that one time we had a guy die, and they called 911, and they carried out half the church before they found the dead person. 
I mean, it was dead. Amen. And so when I came alive to God and started operating in the Word of God, I mean, I had a lot of opposition, a lot of criticism. Everybody was telling me how wrong I was. And you know what? It didn't feel good. It offended me. It hurt me. These were people that before I got excited about the Word of God were friends. Now, because I was excited about God and about His Word, they had turned on me. And I'm talking about church people. This isn't a secular situation. In the church, I was criticized. And during that period of time, I went to a man's meeting. His name was Joe Nay. He's the guy that got me started going in the ministry. I went to his meeting, and I was just kind of hurting because of what people had said about me. And I'd been defending myself and arguing, and yet I wasn't winning the arguments. And I was frustrated. And Joe called me out and gave me a prophecy. And in this prophecy, he says, I see you like a runner on a track. And he said, you're running and you're leading the pack. He says, you're doing great. But then people in the grandstand start yelling at you and say, you're doing it all wrong and yelling at me. And he says, I see you getting off of the track and going up into the grandstands and arguing with the crowd. And he then, after he had painted this picture with his words, he says, and even if you lose the argument, I mean, win the argument, you're going to lose the race. He says, forget what the people are saying and stay on track. Stay on track. You need to stay on track. You need to get out of the grandstands. God didn't call you to be up in the grandstands. A person yelling at you and criticizing you cannot stop you from winning unless you get off the track. And that's what persecution is designed to do, is to get you off track and to get you over here trying to justify yourself and licking your wounds and thinking about God. Look what they said about me. What people say about you isn't important. It's the message that's important. It's what you've got to say. It's the Word of God. And you need to recognize when you're criticized, people make fun of you at work and things like that. They didn't do that before you took a stand for the Word of God. It's not you that's being persecuted. They're coming against the Word. Satan is inspiring and using these people, and the design of it is to get you to shut up and quit acting and speaking the Word of God. You need to recognize that. See, that's what you learn through this parable. If you can receive this, this is one of the ways that Satan steals the Word from you. If you ever get to where you are hurt and licking your wounds and trying to justify yourself and you back off of the Word of God, then according to this parable, you aren't going to bear fruit. The Word will cease to produce and release its life in your life. That's not what you want. You want better results than that. And if you would just recognize that this is one of the ways that Satan has of trying to steal the Word from you, I tell you, it would make a big, big, big difference in your life. Welcome to our Friday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today we're teaching from the fourth chapter of the book of Mark, talking about the parable of the sower sowing the seed. The second type of person here is a person who heard the Word and it was like stony ground, which meant that there was some dirt there, some earth that the seed could germinate and take root in. But the end result is that this second type of person didn't bring forth fruit either. Satan was able to stop it. And here's some of the reasons. It says in verse 16, it says, These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. 
Now notice that this type of person is a person who is excited about the Word of God, but they didn't take time for the Word of God to get rooted on the inside. It says they didn't have any root in themselves, and so the Word didn't work. And sad to say, I believe that most people are in this realm. I mean, when I say most people, most people who claim to be excited about the Word of God, in a, in a truthful sense, it's just a surface level. With most people, they haven't really committed their life to it. It is not something that is foundational in their life. They're excited about it until it begins to cost them something. You know, let me give you a personal example of this. That I got born again at eight years old. At 18, I had a miraculous encounter with the Lord where I knew that He loved me. Shortly thereafter, God began to show me the importance of His Word. And I went through Vietnam... And I began to really get a foundation in the Word. When I came back out of the service, I had been in a Baptist church before I went into Vietnam. When I came out, I was still in a Baptist church. But you know what? My theology had grown beyond that. And now the things that I was teaching, such as it's God's will to prosper you, it's God's will to heal you, God loves you, God's not putting problems in your life, He's not punishing you, grace, and all of these kind of things... This wasn't accepted by the Baptist anymore. And so I was beginning to get some persecution, some flack over this. And it was was strange at first. I didn't realize what was happening because before I went into the army, and as long as my theology was consistent with theirs, these people just loved me. They threw me a going away party and everything. But after 13, 14 months worth of being in the Word day and night... My theology had changed somewhat. I was believing for miraculous things. And when I came back and began to share that, these people who had been my friends and had sent me away with a party were now beginning to reject me. I was getting criticism galore. And at first I didn't realize what was happening and it caused me to kind of shrink back. Now during this period of time, uh, I was living in Arlington, Texas, And uh, I was going to this Baptist church over in Mesquite, Texas. It was about 40 miles away. And in the other direction was Kenneth Copeland in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, Kenneth Copeland was just getting started. This would have been back in about 72. And he was just beginning to be popular. But man, I tell you what, he rang my bell. He just blessed me. And I would go over to his meetings. I would get fired up. I would come back to this Baptist church and I was teaching a Sunday school class. And I would teach these truths that I was hearing. And for a week or two, I mean, miracles would happen. We started seeing people get healed. We started having great results and wonderful things were happening. But then the leadership of the church would find out about it. They'd come in, they'd criticize me and say, you aren't teaching from the quarterly. You're teaching false doctrine. They would come against me, criticize me. And I never did really just say, all right, I reject it. I was wrong. I never changed. I still believed it. But you know what? I was offended is what it says right here. In Mark chapter 4, verse 17, it says, When these things come against you, immediately they are offended. That was happening to me. I wasn't rejecting what I knew to be true, but I was losing my enthusiasm about it, my confidence, my boldness. And so after about two weeks of criticism, I'd get back to where... I was preaching the same things, but we weren't seeing any miracles. We weren't seeing any results. It was just like it was, it was the same, but it was dead. It was different. It didn't have the life and the anointing of God on it. And I couldn't figure it out. 
And then Kenneth Copeland would hold another meeting in Fort Worth. I'd go over there for two or three days. Man, I'd get pumped up, fired up. I'd come back and go to preaching those things in the Baptist church. Same thing had happened. Miracles would happen. People would be set free. And then I'd get criticism and it'd offend me and I'd back off and I'd be saying the same things but different results. And that'd go on for a month or two. And then Kenneth Copeland hold another meeting. And it, after a while, you know, my lightning fast mind began to figure out there was a pattern here. And I began to think, what is it that's happening? And the Lord used this exact passage of Scripture to say the problem is you're excited about the Word, but you don't have any root in yourself. It is not your revelation. It is not what I am speaking to you. You are parroting what Kenneth Copeland is getting from God. And that's the reason that the Word isn't producing is because you or you just don't have root. It's not you. And did you know, this is one of the very few times in my life that I've even referred to Kenneth Copeland. And it's not because I'm against him. This guy was very instrumental in getting me started. But I made a decision right then that from now on, I'm not going to say, Kenneth Copeland said, Kenneth Hagen said, Billy Graham said, but I said, it's going to be God told me. It was going to be personal revelation. I made a decision. And when I did that, my life began to drastically change. And that's the reason I very seldom refer to anybody else. It's not because other people haven't had an influence in my life. But if I hear something from them, I take it and meditate on it until it's no longer what somebody else said. This is what God told me. And that's the way that the Word of God has to be in your life for it to produce. Just a further explanation on this is that a woman who is like my spiritual mother, I mean, this woman was very influential in my life, and my wife was like her best friend. We spent a lot of time with them. This woman really spoke into my life. Well, as I started getting stronger and stronger and stronger in the Word, uh, it was further and further and further away from what she believed. And this woman would just drop little hints here and there. And she would, uh, you know, it would be hard to call it persecution in the sense that she wasn't malicious. She wasn't trying to do us damage. She really loved us and thought she was doing good. But nonetheless, her little pecking away and just constantly criticizing everything I said was persecution. It was an affliction. It was trying to get me to back off of the Word. And uh, we had seen this, but we had never taken a stand against it because we respected her. She was like a spiritual parent. And the night, I remember it was a Saturday night, Jamie and I were studying the Word. The Lord showed me these exact verses of Scripture in Mark 14, 4, 16 and 17 and said, the problem with you is the Word isn't rooted in you. You are taking someone else's revelation. It is not a total revelation to you. And when I saw that, Jamie and I joined hands, prayed, and we said, from now on, we're going to make God's Word personal to us. And it won't matter who says what. If God has told us something and we know it, we are not going to let anybody, anybody steal that from us. That was a Saturday night. On Sunday, we went to church. And on Sunday afternoon, this woman, who was like a spiritual mother, called Jamie into a back room. And again, there was a real close relationship there and said, Jamie, you're the only one that can stop Andrew now. He is going so far with this that you're the only one that can stop him. And she said, you need to get him to renounce these things that he's saying God is showing him. This isn't God. 
And you know what? Jamie and I had just made this decision the night before. And Jamie looked her right in the eye and says, You know what? That's my husband. I believe I'm sticking with him. I believe that this is God speaking to us. And from now on, this relationship is over. Now, that may not have been the best way of dealing with that, but at the place and the time, the immaturity that we were, we weren't able to sit there and debate it and deal with it and stuff. That was really the only way we had to handle it. She came out and told me, I talked to this woman and her husband, and basically we left that church, we cut off that relationship, and it was over 10 years before we had any communication with these people. And it's a, it's a really powerful story how God put the relationship back together, but we have become, once again, very best friends, and I now minister to this woman a lot. Her husband is dead, and I minister to her, and there is a wonderful relationship. God restored it, but for a period of time, I mean, we literally had to make a decision that if it's our very best friends, nothing is going to come against the Word of God. And I know some of you are watching this or listening to it, and you're thinking, oh, that's just a little too severe. That's, that's more than what I'm willing to do. Man, I don't believe that it's right. Well, again, I'm saying that if I was as mature as I am now, I might have been able to deal with that situation differently. But I, didn't, I don't think I could have dealt with it any differently at the time. It's like when a little plant, you know, is, is very young and small. You have to put it in an incubator or in a hothouse and control the environment, and it's very susceptible to the elements. It can't withstand a snowstorm. It can't go through a hurricane. You have to put it in a hothouse and protect it. And when you're young, something is brand new, you know what? You have to take some extreme, severe measures to protect it. Now, after it gets rooted... After the roots are down, now I could go into a situation. Somebody could say those things to me and I could turn away. And I wouldn't have to totally separate myself from them and do some of these things because I've got a deeper root system. I could withstand some things now that I couldn't withstand then. But does that mean that I was totally wrong in the way we did it? It's the only way I knew how to do it. I don't think I could have done it any better. And I'm just saying that that is the degree of commitment you have to make. Now, if you are more mature and able to handle it, well, then that's fine. But you have to have this same level of commitment that, you know what, God's Word is going to be first place in my life. And it doesn't matter who it is. If it's my best friend, if it's the pastor of the church, if it's the church I grew up in, I don't care if I've got my name engraved on a pew in that church. It doesn't matter if, you know, my name's etched in one of the uh, bricks out there. It doesn't matter if that is going to be stealing God's Word from me. Yeah, I am going to have to take a stand and do whatever it takes to protect the Word that's on the inside of me. I know some of you think I'm overemphasizing this and that I'm making more out of this than what it is, but I really do believe that there is a spiritual battle raging in every single person. And what the battle is over is not over how pretty you are, how much charisma you've got, your skills and your talents. Those things are really immaterial in a big sense. The battle is raging over Satan trying to get you to back off of the Word. He's trying to get you to compromise the Word or to neglect the Word. This is really what it's all about. I know some people think I'm overstating that, but I really believe that. If you keep the Word of God foremost in your life, preeminent in your life, meditate in it day and night. It says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, that this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein 
day and night, that you might observe to do according to all things that are written therein. For then, then what? When you've meditated in it day and night. Then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you shall have good success. If you meditate in the Word day and night. I really believe that. The Word of God is what's going to cause success in your life. It doesn't matter if you're a minister. It doesn't matter if you're a housewife. It doesn't matter if you're a mother, a father, a businessman. It doesn't matter what you're doing. The Word of God is what is going to strengthen you in every area of your life. Your relationship with God, your vocation, your relationships with other people, your prosperity, your health, anything. It's all dependent on what you do with God's Word. And it can't be just you taking somebody else's revelation and operating off of it. You need to take that revelation and meditate on it until it gets rooted on the inside of you and you put down roots. And then the Word of God will begin to produce. This second type of person is a person that didn't take the time to let the Word of God become reality in their life. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. One other thing I want to mention about this second type of person before we go on here is that the Lord began to show me that getting a root system, notice it says in verse 17, it says they have no root in themselves. In other words, they were receiving their nourishment from someone else, but they didn't have root in themselves. You know, the power of God lives on the inside of you. You do not have to always be going through another person to reach God. But if you are born again, God himself lives on the inside of you and you can tap into that life. But it's just like a seed. It's got to put root down to be able to go down inside the earth and bring out those minerals and the water. This is why that you see trees that are planted along a stream or an aquifer. You'll find out that they flourish and grow bigger and better than other things, and it's because their roots are able to tap into that water. That's the reason that a plant that's uh, on stony ground does not really bear fruit is because it may grow at first, but it isn't able to go down and tap into any type of nourishment. You know, an example of this is that when I was just a kid in the sixth grade, I remember that my sixth grade teacher had this uh, terrarium and he had two of them that were identical and he put some soil in both of them. One of them only had soil about maybe an inch deep. The other one might have been, you know, a foot deep. And he had soil in these. He put uh, tomato seeds in both of those terrariums and he watered each one exactly the same every single day. And he had these at the front of the class. And we watched as these seeds began to produce. And you know, the one that only had like an inch worth of soil, that thing sprung up and grew. It grew nearly a foot tall before the other seed even put even a little sprout above the ground. It looked like that the one in shallow soil was doing better. But the reason is because the roots couldn't grow down. There wasn't anywhere to grow. So all of the growth, it had enough soil to germinate, but not enough soil to sustain growth. And so all of the growth couldn't go into the roots. There was nowhere to go. It all went into growing above ground. And after it got about a foot tall, because it didn't have the root system to sustain it, that plant, I remember it turned white and then it shriveled up and it died. And then the other one that only had just a tiny sprout by that time began to grow and flourish and it produced full tomatoes and everything. And through that, I learned a lesson. 
that you cannot have growth above ground that is greater than the growth you have beneath the surface. In other words, your root system is the biggest area of growth. I also saw this in the house that I grew up in in Arlington, Texas. We had 23 pecan trees, and those pecan trees would, you know, they'd drop pecans, and they'd get down in the grass under the leaves, and if you weren't careful, they'd sprout, and new pecan trees would start growing everywhere. So my parents had me go pull up these little pecan trees, and of course, being a typical kid, I didn't want to do it, and so I would wait until they got visible from inside the house when they were like a foot tall. And I learned that if you waited until a pecan tree got a foot tall, it had three feet of roots below the ground. And I'd have to go get a shovel, and it was a lot more effort. If I pulled them up when you could first see them and they were only an inch tall, well, then you could just grab the thing and pull it out of the ground. And I learned through this that a healthy tree will have at least two, sometimes three or four times as much root below the surface as it has above the surface. And you know, there's a direct parallel here to our Christian life. If you want fruit, if you want to see the power of God manifest in your life and good things happen, many people are wanting to just do it without letting the Word of God take root in their heart. They're just wanting fruit. They don't want to spend time in the presence of God, seeking God and serving Him. They just want to see the power of God manifestation. That isn't the way it works. Any more than a tree can sustain growth without a root, you cannot sustain fruit in your life without a good root system. In this same chapter, uh, there is a parable that the Lord gave about uh, the Word of God being likened unto a mustard seed. This is down in verse 30. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 30. And it's the exact same point that was being made in Mark 4, 16 and 17. Look at these verses. It says, And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now, the Lord had, uh, this is actually before he showed me Mark 4, 16 and 17. The very first thing he showed me about getting the word rooted in your heart came out of verses 30 through 32. And I remember exactly where I was when this happened. This was my very first week in Vietnam. And you know, that was a pretty unsettling time. It's the first time I'd ever been shot at and had bombs and rockets explode around me. And uh, we were being trained. And part of this training was that before they shipped us out to our final assignment, they were actually uh, putting us through a gas chamber, exposing us to CS gas. gas, And we had gas masks, and you had to learn how to clear them and do all this kind of stuff. Well, we'd been through this in basic, and I had a very bad experience. I won't tell you how bad it was, but it was bad. If I was to to tell you what happened to me, it would gross you out. I mean, I had a bad experience. I thought I was going to die. And so anyway, I did not want to go through this gas chamber. I was praying. I, I knew it was coming up. I was praying, God, preserve me. God, save me. God, do something. And that morning at uh, breakfast, they asked for a volunteer. You know, one of the things I learned really quick in the Army is don't ever volunteer for anything. I mean, I never volunteered. But 
I didn't care what it was that day. It was better than going through the gas chamber. I volunteered. I held my hand up. I was jumping up and down. So anyway, they picked me, and it turned out that what they wanted me to do was stay at the barracks and guard the barracks during that day. So all I did was lay around on my bed while everybody else went through the gas chamber. It was awesome. Man, I was excited about this. And anyway, as I was laying on this bed guarding the barracks, I remember reading these exact verses. And I was really desiring that God would use me. And I knew that there was a call on my life. I could feel that. I could perceive it. I didn't have a clue how it was ever going to happen. But I was dreaming about God using me and about God using me to help other people. And as I read this, I thought, you know, this is the way that I feel. He says the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. And that's the way that I felt. Like, God, how could you use a hick from Texas? I was an introvert, didn't have any education, nothing going for me, nothing that I had ever been taught that you had to have to be able to be a minister and be used by God. I felt less than anybody in the earth. And that's exactly what this was saying about the mustard seed. But it says once it's sown in the earth, it becomes this great and mighty tree for the fowls of the air to come and lodge under the shadow of it. And so I was, I was feeling like I was least of all. And yet I had this dream about someday being able to be this great and mighty tree that could provide shade and do all of these things. And as I was dreaming and thinking about that, I was saying, oh God, that's what I want to be is this, you know, spiritually speaking, I want to grow and produce this huge tree that can minister and touch a lot of people's lives. And as I was dreaming about that, you know, you, you think in pictures. And I saw this huge tree, like oak tree. That's what I grew up with in Texas. And I saw this huge oak tree just spread out And then in my mind, as I was picturing this, I didn't see it uh, with my eyes, but in my mind as I was picturing this tree, I I saw a bird come and land on one branch of that tree and the whole tree fell over because the root was about that big. I mean, if it was possible to have this huge tree with all of this growth with a tiny root, if the first bird that landed in a branch would topple the whole thing, the first little puff of wind would make the thing blow over. If the leaves didn't fall off exactly symmetrically, the thing would have fallen over because it was so precarious. It didn't have any root. And through this, the Lord started speaking to me that you want this huge growth, but your root is about a quarter of an inch deep. He says, if I was to answer your prayer and give you the growth that you're desiring, it would destroy you right now. And I tell you, that was a word of God for me. And I know that there's people watching or listening to this program right now that you are desiring God to use you. You're desiring fruit. You're desiring to see the Word of God work. But how much time have you put into letting the Word of God just take root on the inside of you? You know, it's actually the mercy of God that is keeping you from being used to a greater degree. It's actually the mercy of God that's kept you from being prospered more financially because you don't have the character to be able to handle it. Now, I know that that's not necessarily exciting, and and, uh, some of you may not feel blessed by this, but this is a real answer. God has put down laws that you just can't grow above your root system. And he did that not to damage you and not to hurt you, but because he loves you and he doesn't want you to grow above ground 
more than you've grown below the ground. Or here's a way that you could say it. Grow more outwardly than you've grown inwardly. If you haven't let the Word of God grow on the inside of you and shape you and mold you into a person of character, I mean, not a character, but a person with character, if you haven't let that happen, well, then that's going to stunt any manifestation of God's Word working in your life in these other areas. The point that I'm making is many of you are desiring healing in your bodies. You're desiring prosperity, relationships. Many of you are desiring that the Lord would open up doors so that you could impact other people's lives, so that you could be put in a position of leadership in your church or in your job or something like that. And you're desiring all of this fruit, but the Scripture here is saying that the way that this fruit comes is by the Word of God taking root on the inside of you. And letting the Word take root on the inside of you is something that is done like a seed. Roots are below the surface. These are things that are done not out in public, not in front of people. This is in your own private relationship with God. You know, I know that there are some people watching this program and you're saying, man, I wished I could have some of the miracles that you've talked about and all of these things. I've seen people raised from dead, blind eyes open. I've seen awesome things happen. God's given me peace. The Word of God is producing fruit in my life. And there are some of you saying, I wish that the Word of God would work for me that way. But what you don't understand is, I have spent years, I mean years and years and years of meditating in the Word of God and letting it take root on the inside of me. You might see some fruit in some area of my life and think, well, boy, that looks easy. I I just want that. You're going straight for the fruit. But what you need to do is go straight for the root. The Lord told me that if I would just take care of letting God's Word produce root in my heart, eventually it will grow. There's a Chinese bamboo plant that for the first four years, it never grows anything more than a sprout, like one inch tall. But then in the fourth year, it grows something like 18 to 20 feet in one year. And some people think, man, I want that kind of growth. What they don't realize is there were four years spent getting the roots to sustain that type of growth. Welcome to our Tuesday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Mark chapter 4 talks about the third type of person who received the Word of God. And this is a person, and again, I want to stress this point. I've already made this, but I believe that the parable of the sower sowing the seed is a progression. That we go through a period of time where the Word of God doesn't even seem to penetrate our heart. That's the first type of person described. Then we go through a time where the Word of God excites our heart. We get excited about its potential, but we aren't ready for the rejection and the criticism that will come our way for beginning to take a stand on the Word of God. If you don't move through that stage, then the Word of God will never bring forth fruit. But then you can even get it to a place to where, all right, I'm going to stand on the Word of God even if it costs me relationships, if I get punished, fired from a job, if whatever, I don't care, the Word of God is all important. Then there's another stage that you have to move through, and that's described here in Mark chapter 4, in verse 18, and it says, and, the, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. 
Man, now this is powerful. And again, I want to stress that I believe that this is a progression. I told you in verses 16 and 17, I can remember the day, the place, the exact details when God showed me I was in this stage of verses 16 and 17 where I didn't have root in myself. I was living off someone else's revelation and I made a decision that the Word was going to become real to me. And when I made that decision, I began to move into verses 18 and 19. And I believe that to some degree, I'm still there in between this third type of soil and the fourth type of soil that begin to really start producing fruit. I'm seeing some fruit in my life. I praise God for what he's doing, but I know that there's more. And this third type of soil is a type of person's heart who had received the words. You made the commitment that regardless of what it cost me, I'm going on. The word of God is going to dominate my life. But it says that the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and choke the word. You know what this is describing, if most of you can relate to sometime or another planting a seed. And when you plant that seed, usually you till the ground, you get out all of the grass, all of the weeds and things like this, and then you put your seed in there. You begin to water it and you start looking and expecting results. But you know, even though you pulled out the old grass and stuff, there will still be seeds and things and weeds will begin to start growing up along with your plant. And what you have to do is you have to carefully weed out all of these weeds and leave your seed intact undisturbed. If you don't, what will happen is the weed, it seems like it's easier to grow weeds than it is to grow crop. I mean, weeds just grow naturally and they grow quicker and their roots go down and they will sap the strength, the nutrients out of that soil that your seed you planted needs. And so you have to take out all of these cares and all of these other things. Well, in the spiritual world, see, it's the same thing. The Word of God begins to start taking root in your heart, but your heart will want to latch on to other things. I've met a lot of people... And I'm not meaning to pick on anyone here. So if I'm hitting, you know, if I hit you, it's not intentional. I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just trying to make application so that you'll understand what I'm talking about. But I mean a lot of people that I mean sports is just like a God to them. They will watch anything with the name sports on it. And they sit in front of a television and they spend huge amounts of time doing that. Now, there is nothing wrong with sports. If it's done in moderation, I really believe just about anything in moderation is okay. That's what the scripture teaches. But you know what? We tend there. People are extremists. They have addictive personalities. And there are people that literally, I mean, just plant themselves. And during a football season or whatever their favorite sport is, I've heard many women come to me and say that they're husband just, you know, is in this stupor. He just can't do anything except talk about his sport or whatever. I had a woman come to me one time and this woman came to me and said, uh, my husband has PHS. And I thought, oh man, what is this? Some new disease. And I said, what is PHS? I said, what does it do to you? And she says, he just sits on the deck in this chair and stares out into the woods and I'm, he'll be sitting there polishing his rifle and his gun. I said, what is PHS? And he, she said, it's pre-hunting syndrome. That about, you know, the time the, the fall begins to come in, he just gets this glazed look in his eyes. And he gets so captivated by thinking about going out there and trapping and hunting and doing things that she just loses him for months. 
What I'm saying is those are the kind of things that this is talking about. You can't do something to such a degree that it takes you out of the Word of God. It says that the cares of this life, that could include just parenting. That could include working a job. You know, that could include just all kinds of things that there's certainly nothing sinful about. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that if you don't work, you don't eat. But you know what? You can't be so absorbed with your job that you literally have no time for God, no time for family. That will destroy the Word of God. It doesn't have to be sinful things. You can just be occupied with making a living, raising your children, and it can literally choke the Word of God and keep it from producing in your life. You can kind of pass a barrier to where persecution isn't a big thing. You know what I think is a much more subtle and therefore more deadly attack of the devil against the Word of God is just preoccupation with other things. As a matter of fact, Linus Lefevre, who's the director of our Caris Bible College, in his uh, class in our Bible College on vision, he says, if you want to destroy a man's vision, give him two. That's the way that you destroy a vision is you can't do multiple things correctly. You have to establish priorities. There has to be certain things in your life that are just so much of a priority that you never depart from this that every day for the rest of your life you are going to establish these things. If you want the Word of God to really produce in your life, it has to become priority. And the most subtle way that Satan comes against you is through things that aren't necessarily sin, but just things that occupy your attention. You are, in a sense, similar to a piece of ground, that it only has so much nutrients in a, you know, in a certain parcel of ground. And if you deplete those nutrients, it wouldn't matter if you plant the best seed in the world in that soil. It will not produce if the soil has been depleted. And it's the same thing. If your heart is given over to other things, if your attention is on so many other things, you can choke the Word of God just by the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things that enter in. Let me give you an example of this that hopefully will make my point. But, you know, as a minister, I've been through stages in my life, and I went through a stage where, man, I mean, people stayed away from my meetings by the droves. Amen. I mean, it was supernatural, the people that didn't come. And so during that period of time, I just spent a huge amount of time in the Word of God. And then we started seeing miracles. We started seeing people's lives change. People started coming. And I remember when I got into Pritchett, Colorado, that literally there was times that if I would have allowed it, I I wouldn't have been able to sleep at night. I had people staying over there till late, and I had to send people home. People would wake me up at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Miracles were happening so fast. And I mean, I was being run ragged. And I went weeks without ever opening the Bible, except to minister the Word and pray and preach to other people. Now, I mean, that's not bad what I was doing. See, what I'm talking about is that I was so occupied with ministry to other people giving out that I wasn't sowing the Word in my heart. I, it wasn't sin that was occupying me. It wasn't lust that was occupying me. It wasn't anger or bitterness or any of these things that we relate to being just evil and bad. It was helping people. You can get so busy helping people that it destroys your personal relationship with God. What I'm trying to say through this is, if I can do this with helping people, praying for people, 
and loving them and being a Christian, then how much more can you become preoccupied with things such as just your favorite TV show, your sports thing, even working at church, your job, all kinds of things can preoccupy you to such a degree that the Word of God is not able to release its fruit in your life. Part of being a fruitful Christian is that you have to have this time where you just spend taking God's Word in. You know, the last couple of days, I've been very busy. We've had a lot of things going, but I have just spent some time realizing that last week I had a major conference, and I was going from 6 in the morning until 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the, in the morning. And I just didn't have very much time to study the Word. And so after this conference, I've spent the last couple of days just kicking back. have a lot of things I need to do, but I have gone out of my way to just sit in the Word and study. And not study for what I'm preaching today. Not study so that I could give to somebody else. I'm just reading the Word for me. I'm just meditating in the Word. And I've been doing this now for 34 years. There are some of you that think, all right, how long do I have to be in the Word? Will six months do it and then I can get this? You're missing it. You just got to get to where the Word of God is a lifestyle with you. Matter of fact, from Psalms chapter 19, in just the last couple of days, scriptures that I have read hundreds, if not thousands of times, and that is no exaggeration. Matter of fact, I sang Psalms chapter 19. There's a song that I sing, and I've sung it hundreds, thousands of times. And yet I got some brand new revelation out of it. It's really nothing new. It's just a new way of seeing it, a new scripture that makes that point. And I can guarantee you it's going to bear fruit in my life. I am getting brand new things from God's Word every single day. There are many of you watching this program or listening by radio that that's not your lifestyle. And yet you want the fruit. But you aren't going to plant the Word. You aren't going to protect it. You're going to let other things occupy your time. I'm telling you in love, but I'm telling you that that is not the way the Word of God works. You have to not only spend quality time, but quantity time in the Word of God. You know, this is just one suggestion. My wife, when our kids were little, our kids, I had two boys, and they're just like everybody else. They are energetic, and our kids bounced off the wall and played and did this. But, you know, we had a time every afternoon. It didn't matter where we were, what we were doing. There was a quiet time. And when they were real young, she laid them down and made them take a nap. And as they got older, they didn't have to always sleep, but they would have to be still and like read their book, you know, look at the pictures. They'd have to just spend some quality time down. We taught our children how to kick back and rest uh, every single day instead of just being constantly going. Some of you can't relate to that, but I don't believe that our children are that exceptional. I think what it is... People just have indulged their children, and and in a sense, they're spoiled in that area. But anyway, during that period of time, my wife forced herself to take that hour off and just spend that time praying and studying the Word and recharging her batteries. Because I tell you what, it takes a lot of energy to raise kids and to do things like this. There are ways that you can do it. Plus, another thing I want to make clear is that when I'm talking about being in the Word of God, you can't always be like this where you're just reading it. But you can meditate in the Word day and night. And that's what the Scripture says in in, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, 
but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. You can't always be reading it and still have a full-time job, raise kids. Now, there is certain time you have to... You can't meditate what you haven't already put in. But once you put it in, you can develop a lifestyle to where you keep your mind stayed on the Word of God. You can listen to godly Christian music instead of secular music that's going to sing about people falling off the bar stool and... And, uh, you know, wailing and travailing and all of this discouragement. Listen to something that will glorify God. You can put tapes in. And if you're driving in the car, if you're working at home, you can listen to the Word of God on tape. I tell you, with our advances that we've got in technology today, there really is no reason that people can't have a greater saturation of the Word of God than what people have had in previous years. Our lifestyle may be busier, but we've got advantages. You can turn on Christian radio, Christian television. You can listen to tapes, books. Uh, you can listen to books on audio tape now. You can listen to all of these things, the actual word read. You can meditate in the Word of God day and night. Boy, that's a powerful truth. And I know some of you are saying, well, I just don't like that. I like all this other stuff. Well... If you like that fruit better than you like the fruit of the Word of God, it's your choice. You do not have to do what I'm saying to be able to love God and go to heaven. As a matter of fact, you can get there quicker if you don't take God's Word and meditate in it because when you get sick, you aren't going to be able to draw on the power of God. You're going to have to wait on the healing evangelist to come through town. And if your situation is crisis, you'll die and go to heaven earlier because you don't know how to get healed. This isn't a necessity. It's not mandatory unless you want fruit. If you want fruit, then you've got to root out the other things that vie for your attention and you've got to put priority on the Word of God, meditating in it. I don't know how to totally explain this, but when you meditate on God's Word, it just changes you. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you feel. It changes the way you treat others. It really does. God's Word transforms your life. One other thing here, it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 18, it says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. You know, we could probably give a hundred examples of how all of these different things come in and take our energy, our focus away from the word of God. There are people who think, oh man, if I could just have more money, I could be a bigger blessing to the church, to the ministry, to my home. We could get this. We could have these things we dreamed after. And you can go after money under the deceitfulness that just having more money is going to make you better and happier and all of this stuff. You know, I was just reading a story this morning by a guy who is one of the most famous sports figures in the world. And when he was number one year after year after year, he was talking about how desperate and how empty he was. And this guy had fame and, of course, money that went with it, and it did not produce what he wanted. That is a deceit of riches. It's a lie, thinking that if I just had more, then I'd be better. And that is not so. That is not so. You've got to stand against the deceitfulness of all these things and understand that it's only God's Word in your life that is really going to give you the things that count. Health, prosperity, relationships, peace, joy, victory, all of those kind of things. 
And the Word of God is the only thing that's going to produce that. And you need to understand that to the degree that you make a priority out of it and put God's Word first place in everything you do. Man, that's an awesome statement. And then it goes on to say in the 20th verse, it, the last type of ground that this seed fell on, it says, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. You know, now here is a great truth. This is one of the things that I got out of this parable that really blessed me. And as you look at all of these different types of ground, which type of ground produced the most fruit? Well, it was this fourth type. And as you analyze the four types of ground. What was different about the fourth type of ground? Now here's something that you may not have seen, but this ought to be pointed out. The fourth type of ground, the type of ground that produced fruit, had less, not more, but less. Less rocks, less thorns, less weeds, less of everything. Now see, sometimes when you start thinking about God using you and about the power of God manifesting in your life, most of us just automatically think, oh man, I don't have enough education. I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough money. I'm just not. And we think that because we don't have as much as everybody else, we don't have the charisma that somebody else has, therefore God can't use us. But it's exactly opposite in the kingdom of God. Less is more. The thing that makes the Word of God work is just your focus and commitment to it. The Word of God will produce in any type of soil if the rocks are taken out, if the roots are allowed to grow, if the weeds are pulled up, and if all of these distractions and other things that war against the Word of God are taken away, the Word of God will work in any believer's heart. Boy, that changed my life. I don't know if that rings your bell the way it did me. But again, where I was coming from, I felt like, man, I had three strikes against me. I didn't have an education. I'm a hick. I couldn't hardly talk. I was embarrassed. I couldn't look at a person in the face. And uh, I was fearful. I, I mean, I had nothing going for me. And I felt like, God, I hadn't got anything to offer you. And it transformed my life when I saw that the type of ground, the type of heart that produced the best results wasn't a heart that had more, but a heart that had less. And I thought, well, God, I can do that. I said, I don't have as much stuff to root out of my life as most people. I don't have any confidence in myself. I had zero self-confidence. I said, I don't have anything else. I've never been a success at anything. I don't have anything tempting me and drawing me away. And I just made a decision that I was going to put God's Word first place in my life, and man, God's Word has changed my life. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's okay because you're a preacher, and so preachers need to do that. But this works for anybody. I gave a testimony last week about a friend of mine who got hold of the Word of God and now grosses over 500 to $600 million per year in his company, and his own testimony is it's the principles he learned from the Word of God. They produce financial prosperity. I can tell you hundreds of people who have taken the truths in God's Word about forgiveness, turning the other cheek, etc., and have seen marriages healed. They've seen hatred taken out of their heart and on and on. God's Word will work for anybody. It's not just for preachers. Look at this same principle, the same parable over in Mark chapter 4, verse uh, 20, the one that talks about bringing forth 30, 60, and 100-fold. It's also listed in Luke chapter 8, 
And in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, here's the way that Luke described the uh, type of person that brought forth this hundredfold fruit. It says, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Just the way that he says this adds a couple of little different things and it makes uh, it increases your understanding of what the Lord is saying. One of the points I want to make here is that he says you have to bring forth fruit with patience. This is a missing element in a tremendous amount of Christians' life. I've actually had people come. I can think of this last week. We held a major conference here in Colorado Springs and I had some people come at the first of the week and they were pumped. They came expecting to receive, and for a day or two, they maintained that excitement. But if they didn't see everything they wanted produced within 24 or 48 hours, I talked to two or three people who were beginning to start battling discouragement and depression because they didn't see total transformation in 48 hours. You know, that's not the way that the Word of God works. Now, you can receive a miracle and praise God that they come, but basically speaking, the change in the Christian life takes time. And there's a lot of people that just aren't willing to stick with it. There's a lot of people that will take my teaching here on the sower sows the word and you'll get excited. And so the rest of this week, you'll spend some time meditating in the word. Maybe you'll get up early and and read the word of God or do something to put the word of God to the forefront. Give it a greater position of importance in your life. And if you don't see results by this time next week, there's a lot of people that'll quit. What would happen if you put a seed in the ground and left it there only a week and then just dug it up and said, well, it didn't work and you looked at it and nothing had changed. You know what? You aren't ever going to see that fruit. You have to put that seed in the ground and you have to have enough faith that the principles of sowing and reaping work and you just keep it there, you protect it, you water it, you weed around it and you just keep after it and eventually it produces. And it's the same thing with the Word of God. It's not going to work instantly. And in our society that has instant tea, instant coffee, instant potatoes, everybody wants to microwave your miracle, and it doesn't come that way. If you're going to receive your miracle from God, you need to take the Word of God, plant it in your heart, and keep doing it day after day after day, and meditate on it, and give the Word time to work. You have to bring forth fruit with patience. And you know, the seed wasn't... The, deter- it didn't, the seed itself didn't determine whether some people got a 30-fold, others got a 60, and some a 100-fold. It wasn't the seed. The seed had the potential to produce a 100-fold in every single situation, but the difference was the degree of commitment given to the seed in that person's heart. There is no difference between you and any other person, and there is no difference between the Word of God in your heart and any other person. Your heart is just as capable. The only difference is what you do with it. It says here in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, they heard the Word and kept it. Are you going to keep it? Are you going to commit yourself to the Word? Are you going to get to where you know the Word for yourself and don't have to ask somebody else what the Word says? If you'll do that, God's Word will change your life.